Hi, I'm Debbie Georgettis. I'm so glad you've tuned in today to America Can We Talk. Today, we're gonna to talk about some sensitive subjects. Drag Queen Story Hour, trans advocacy in elementary school, the trans epidemic and the great silencing, psychiatrists help on the LGBTQ issues, and last, do we love our children enough? And finally, I'll tell you why these stories matter to you. Stay tuned. Debbie Georgiatis, host of America Can We Talk, is an author, attorney, and political analyst whose mission is to inspire the American political conversation about preserving liberty in the best country on earth. And welcome again to America Can We Talk on today's first five. Today we're talking about a very tender subject, and I honestly, within two hours of doing this show today, debated whether to switch to one of the more traditional topics I talk about on this show relating to preserving America, whether that's border security, uh, immigration policy, tax policy, all sorts of national policy issues. But the show is really about preserving America. And this is this topic today about the advocacy by the American left for trans transgenderism and, um, and uh, drag queen story hours is a topic that really impacts America's future and America's children. And the focus of the conversation today is mostly about America's children. I wanna start with the drag queen story hours. You've probably all heard of that. There are public libraries around the country that hold story hours for preschoolers and young children, you know, kindergarten, first grade age, young children in which the public school, the public libraries have now brought in drag queens, meaning men dressed as women, dressed in, a, in, in very feminine costumes, often wild hair, uh, very exaggerated feminine costumes, clothing and makeup. And these uh, people, these drag queens, read stories to the children, but the entire purpose is to actually have drag queens in front of small children, men dressed and acting as women, reading stories to children. Some kind of regular kid stories and some stories that they read are actual advocacy stories about transgenderism, about drag queens, about saint, about just it's a sexually oriented type of reading. There's a website that the Drag Queen Story Hour um, advocates have. It's actually a formal website founded in New York, in New York City. And uh, there are, I think there was 35 um, outlets around the country that are for the Drag Queen Story Hour advocacy. The reason I want to start with this story is this. On their own website, on Drag Queen Story Hour website, they actually describe what they do. They say it's just what it sounds like. Drag queens read stories to children in libraries, schools, and bookstores. DQSH, Drag Queen Story Hour, captures, and here are the key language I want to have you focus on, captures the imagination and play of the gender fluidity of childhood and gives kids glamorous, positive, and unabashedly queer role models. They are acknowledging they're not just looking for something to do with their spare time. They are advocating for the drag queen lifestyle, men dressing as women, and they're going out to public libraries to speak 
to read in front of small children to do this advocacy. That's their website language I just read. In spaces like this, kids are able to see um, people who defy rigid gender restrictions, and they can imagine a world where people can present as they wish, where dress up is real. So we had a few images from the drag queen story hours. There was one I sent to my wonderful producer, Matt, who probably has it. It's uh, two women, or two drag queens, so it's men dressed as women dancing. They are, they've told some story, or read some story to these kids in this public library and they're doing a little dance around this the hokey pokey I think uh, but there they are this is the kind of thing and this is in public libraries all over America and I, I raise all this to say that the drag queen story hours it is not just to raise awareness it is very much an advocacy it's an element of the advocacy of the very left-wing strident LGBTQ uh, movement in America. Very much a pushing of their lifestyle choices, their behaviors as normal, and trying to convey that to a to young children, impressionable young children. Yep, this is normal. This is just how, what people do, and this is a normal thing. They acknowledge it on their website. It's also been interesting, I just read a couple of stories that relate to how uh, these drag queen story hours are received in local communities. As you might imagine, there are some protests, but even when you read uh, in Spokane, Washington, for example, or a story in the New York Times describing the proliferation of drag queen story hours, there is the presentation by the media, which is left-wing media, but the media that is both advocating the open-mindedness of the parents who bring their kids to these drag queen story hours, and by the choice of adjectives, the wording they use, portraying parents who are objecting to drag queen story hours as intolerant, you know, kind of narrow-minded, kind of like knuckle-dragging Bible thumper dummies who can't see the beauty and wonder and greatness of pushing understanding of the drag queen story hours. So my first point today is it is a whole different thing in America for adults to choose to dress however they choose, to change their mind every day, whether they want to dress as a man or a woman. Nobody's stopping them, nobody's arresting them, no one's doing anything bad to them. It's important to understand that what these drag queen story hours represent is an intentional advocacy on the part of the drag queen story hour movement and more largely pressed by the LGBTQ advocates, strident advocates to say, you in America, you're going to agree. We're going to teach your children that this is normal. That, that a grown man dressing in uh, wildly colored wigs and women's clothing and lavish makeup, that this is just a normal expression. This is what just a normal thing, encouraging children to think of themselves as having gender fluidity. So in closing today's first five, I'll say, the willingness of the press to instantly take the side of the of the uh, the drag queen story hour advocates and to portray any parents or others who oppose these drag queen story hours as kind of closed-minded kind of simple-minded kind of behind the times um, is is really troubling because what you're really seeing from the drag queen uh, community the drag queen story hour advocates is the idea that they're going to plant the seed in the ch in the minds of young children that gender fluidity is normal gender fluidity is 
a natural thing, lots of us have it, urging young children to look at these people reading stories to them in story hour as potential role models. They call themselves queer role models on their website. And you know, there's a funny thing with all these issues that are so tender, that are, you know, so difficult to talk about. There's always a stridency from the American left that basically says this. You either agree with everything we present, you agree with everything the Drag Queen Story Hour, uh, you know, movement's all about, or you're a hateful, bigoted homophobe or you're just ignorant, or you're just a knuckle-dragging fool. There's never any place in the way the left presents these issues for the more reasonable mindset that says, adults can do as they please, no one's stopping them. But we, many people in society, do not think it's healthy for drag queens, grown men dressing as women, made up as women, pretending to be women, some of us don't want those people to be considered role models for our children. And it doesn't mean we hate. There's a lot of place in between, you know, hate, which is what the left always tries to claim it is, and complete embrace, which is what the left wants to happen in our society. There is a place for reasonable Americans to say, this is not what I want as a role model for my child. I don't think this is a healthy movement in our society to plant in the seed, the seed in the minds of young children that gender fluidity is a normal, real, healthy thing. And that, my friends, is today's first five. The next story I want to hit, turn to, again, related to this, all this, uh, this kind of gender fluidity argument out of the American left has to do with transgenderism. And I actually read an article that said that that is no longer an acceptable term. Transgenderism is already, you know, they have political correctness in everything, and now you're not supposed to say transgenderism. But advocacy for the idea that there are more and more people in our country who were uh, born one gender who identify in their hearts and minds as the other gender and want to change genders advocacy for the transgender the presence of transgenderism the movement toward accepting it as normal and the movement again toward placing planting the seed in the minds of children that this is a normal thing this is a realistic thing this is a natural thing of course many of you born one gender really really in your hearts are kind of the other gender i want to tell you one story from a public school in Oregon, and then another story about a young boy who I believe lives in New York. But let me start with the story in Oregon. So there's a school in Oregon, a public elementary school in Oregon, in which a uh, parents had their kids enrolled. There, this family had an eight-year-old boy He's in second grade. He came home from school one day with, uh, in his backpack, children's books, children's books advocating transgenderism, advocating for children to question whether they really are the gender which their biology is, or are they not really, they, they are really the opposite. So this family, this parent, parent said the eight-year-old kid, you know, what are these books? And this is, this is in the city of Woodburn, Oregon, and the public school is like a Muir Public Elementary, Nellie Muir Elementary School. So the, and the parents have not ident been identified obviously protect that child's interests. The mom and dad say, why do you have, you know, you're in second grade, why do you have books in your backpack about transgenderism? 
the kid broke down and told them that his second grade teacher has been hassling him for a big chunk of the school year, urging him to consider whether he's really transgender. He's an eight-year-old boy. This teacher had been holding the kid back from recess to hassle him about whether or not he really thought he was a girl, is he really transgender, giving him extra reading in school, forcing him to watch videos related to transgenderism, all because this teacher latched on to this kid and decided that she thought, this teacher thought that this eight-year-old boy was really transgender and really wanted to become a girl. The reason the teacher gave for having, and she'd never notify the parents, the reason the teacher gave is because this kid, this eight-year-old boy, had asked to use the teacher's restroom instead of the boy's room, which the parents explained had to do with some stomach condition he had, and he was embarrassed to be in the boy's room with the other boys around because whatever the stomach condition, apparently he thought the other boys would realize, you know, and they would make fun of him as we all know eight-year-old boys will do. So because this kid asked to use the teacher's restroom, this teacher decided this kid was transgender. And so she hassled, hassled, hassled. The kid is getting, I mean, you know, when you're eight years old and your teacher, who's like your third most, or maybe fourth most authority figure after your mom, dad, and maybe your pastor, your teacher, your second grade teacher is telling you, you, you probably really are a girl. I mean, this was a horrible thing this kid went through during the time it was ongoing until it finally came to the parents' attention. So the parents went to the school. They complained to the school. Teacher hasn't backed down. Teacher hasn't apologized. Teacher's still employed. Teacher uh, said, hey, he wanted to use the adult restroom, the, the teacher's restroom. I thought that was probably why. So this kid is now taking anxiety. He's now nine, taking anxiety medication, getting regular counseling. The parents overwhelmed with just you know outrage frustration up upset because their kid is so upset uh, the, the dad is having panic attacks the mom is obviously struggling with all this the kids trying to get they're trying to get their kid back on track and these parents sued the public school which is a good thing they sued the public school to say you know even if you really thought this even if you're genuine in what you thought your job public school teacher is not to intervene in my child's personal affairs to tell my kid whether or not you think he's transgender and to advocate to him about transgenderism. That's not your job as a public school teacher. School defending the teacher, litigation ongoing. I mention that to say that this is part of what happens when the transgender advocacy is so strident, is so authoritative, is so pushy is so demanding is so asserting that that there are just the nation is filled with people who aren't really the gender they think they are aren't really the gender they were born as but they really are you know the opposite gender they really do suffer from transgenderism on a similar note, um, I want to, this is another child, so this kid in Oregon, and there are other cases like this, there are also actually several school districts where parents have banded together and advocated to the school that they want the public school to stop teaching, starting in kindergarten, advocacy for transgenderism, 
advocacy for the idea that you might think you're really one gender, but really in your heart you're the other. Why don't you think about it? You know, there are all sorts of, it's, it's seed planting in the minds and hearts of children. And there are school districts where parents are saying, stop doing this. Why don't you do your job, public school, and teach these kids about math and English and history and science, the things you're supposed to be learning in elementary school. Cursive writing, handwriting, reading, all the things kids learn, need to be learning. Instead of these public schools acting as laboratories for social, social experimentation to urge to kids that they really aren't what they think they are. So one last story about kids before I turn to what the professionals have to say about this. There is a, a young uh, boy, he's a boy, and his name is Desmond Napoles, N-A-P-O-L-E-S. He's become internationally famous as a drag kid. We have one picture of him, I believe. Matt the Wonderful here has a picture of this kid. This is a young kid who, when he was three, was watching a movie with his mom that had some drag queen in it and said, hey, I wanna be that. So the mom, starting as the kid was by the age of four, taking him to drag queen performances, pride marches, when he was four years old. The kid, by the way, is on the autism spectrum. He is at least slightly autistic. The kid now performs all over the world, dressed as a woman, doing the drag queen thing, and you can see the way they have him dressed here. Makeup, hair, the whole thing. Parents are interviewed, they, they swear and they claim they're only doing what their child wants. They think this is who he really is. He's really a drag queen. He likes being a drag queen. The kid was four when they started taking him to these, to drag queen performances and to the pride marches advocating to this kid this is who you really are well now he's got videos all, all out everywhere you can find him on youtube i couldn't even bring myself to play the youtube videos for you but youtube videos in which the kid is just sexualized and i don't even know how old he is now 11 or something he, he's still a child he should be playing with you know in the dirt playing cowboys and indians or something but instead he is dressing as a woman doing drag queen performances on stage with adults hooting and hollering and whistling at him. This is, this kid, Desmond, is a result of a society perfectly open to the idea of sexualizing children, perfectly open to the idea that maybe someone's real identity is as a drag queen, the mother claims, as as the father. This is, we're just honoring his wishes. This is what he wants. Well, how many parents do you know, just think about in your life, parents who had their kids had all sorts of things they wanted to do in life, all sorts of things they thought were appropriate or cool or desirable, but fortunately for many kids, the parents said, no, actually, no, no, actually, you need to, uh, we're not doing drag queen dress up when you're four or eight or 11. You know, we're not gonna play that. We don't indulge a child in every single bit of confusion the child may have, especially when the parents fed that confusion. These parents fed that confusion, created it, cultivated it, feed it again uh, today. So this kid now, internationally famous, does, does videos on YouTube, uh, being the, a, a, the uh, drag queen, um, the drag queen performer uh, child. And they have a video about, out about him called Desmond is Amazing. And the mom's quote, uh, she, has a, she has an interview which she gave last year uh, describing um, in her, it was called Desmond is Amazing. And all of the criticism anyone has leveled at them, any, you know, any kind of discussion is just simply impermissible. 
And the point of this second little segment of today's show is it matters what we as a society cultivate, accept, pass along, and nurture as normal. It matters. This mom, I mean, you know, not in my view a stellar mom, but this mom has accepted the idea that your kid's identity is whatever he or she, he or she says it is versus parents instilling teaching in their children about the nature of life and identity. So this kid, I cannot imagine the life this kid will have as he, it, she, whatever wants to be referred, grows up. What if your, your entire childhood was sexualized? You're doing sexy dances on stages dressed as a woman in front of men when you're a little kid. I mean, the kid has a, you can have a very, very challenging time as he grows up. And the idea that somehow in our society, we elevate honoring the concept of this child having, uh, having an identity that is, uh, you know, they're exploiting because society has normalized this identity, that that's actually not a good enough excuse. It's just not. So this advocacy in the schools, advocacy permeates its way into the Desmond home. But the next thing I want to talk about is this trans epidemic and the great silencing. And I, I call this segment the trans epidemic and the great silencing because of this. There was a study done and reported in Psychology Today. Just this past year in December, it was printed in November of 2018 by a Dr. Samuel Vessier. And he's basically exploring the transgender identity movement today. He's talking with families. Now, I, I want to make a distinction to be uh, clear here. These, this is a psychologist, different from a psychiatrist. We're going to talk in the next segment about a recent meeting at the, of the American Psychiatric Association, what they say about all of this. But first, I want to talk about this study by this psychologist. The idea that we have in our society in the last, whatever it is, 10 years, cultivated a gender identity ideology. We have created an ideology, a set of beliefs related to gender identity that starts with the concept that you're, what you are at birth, your gender, obvious from the moment you're born, is male or female, but that terminology has changed to be your assigned gender. So taking away the notion of the reality of your anatomy when you're born, and everyone can tell, the doctor goes, oh, it's a boy, it's a girl. Gender identity ideology has been advocating now for years that that is just your assigned gender, your assigned gender. And there are more and more people in this country thinking they are enlightened by accepting the idea that what your biology is, therefore what you are, is not really what you are. It is, a, it is viewed to be an open-minded and enlightened viewpoint to just simply utterly dismiss your biological reality and in its place accept that your 
very being, whatever you are, is just going to be defined as you roll along in life and decide what you think and who you think you are. So this doctor did this study. And again, everything I'm reading from, you can find on my website, americacanwetalk.org, under the homepage shows, drop down, links. You can find these links to the things I'm reading. But this story, um, this this uh, study by the psychologist, he called his column, Why is Transgender Identity on the Rise Among Teens? To summarize what he found, first of all, he found that this transgender, this discovery of allegedly self-discovery of becoming transgender or being transgender tends to go in social circles and that young people who go who discover this about themselves he actually uh, did a survey of 250 families whose children develop symptoms of gender dysphoria that's a term dysphoria just saying the gender you think you are is not the same as the gender your body says you are okay so he said um, these children who de develop gender dysphoria during or right after puberty he found that um over 80 percent of them were uh, were in, in this sample uh, were female at birth. So over 80%, actually this study was done by Lisa Littman, a Brown University physician and professor of behavioral science. But she basically says the, the definition accepted normally about gender dysphoria means your child typically needs to have shown observable characteristics of the condition of being one gender, but you, but you act and think like the other gender, usually that, that they require in order to agree that gender, gender dysphoria is really present, that, that those symptoms occurred prior to puberty and showed things such as a strong rejection of typically feminine or masculine toys, a strong resistance to wearing typically feminine or masculine clothes. 80% of the parents in this study was said, no, our kid wasn't like that at all. It got to be puberty, got to be the phase in puberty or post-puberty when they were you know, young adults that they decided that they had gender dysphoria and were really the other thing. So many of the youth in the survey had been directly exposed to one or more peers who had recently come out as trans. So kids are swayed by other friends coming out as trans. 63.5% of the parents reported that in the time just before announcing they were trans, their child had exhibited a marked increase in internet and social media consumption. These kids are going online, finding advocacy for transgenderism, listening to people advocate, describe transgenderism, and it's contributing to their conclusion that that is what they are. Um, and after this, of course, occurs, this increase in distress, conflict with the parents, they and, so, and they had one parent describe what it is that kids end up doing when they have gone to this, I've decided I'm transgender. The transgender term for straight people, normal, straight, adult, male, female uh, people, is cisgendered. And so these parents of these kids who decide they're transgender, in general, cisgendered people are considered evil, and unsupportive, regardless of their actual views. And so they start talking about how their kids are just rejecting their families, they're onto this, you are you're cisgendered, um, they, re they refer to their own parents as breeders. 
as the parents are breeders, like a dog would, would breed. Parents are breeders. Um, they also talk about all of the um, kids using the same language over and over. They use discourse and trans-positive online content was ir with eerie similarity. Everyone's using the same language. Um, this, this researcher at Brown is saying she's raising caution about encouraging young people's desires to transition in all instances. The fact that your child, even your teenager, expresses some interest in maybe I'm not really one gender, I'm the other. This expert is saying don't just jump and indulge that. Think about it. Understand what it is they're actually saying. And they've come to use a term, rapid onset gender dysphoria. R-O-G-D, rapid onset gender dysphoria, and they are, this expert is describing it as follows. It appears to be a novel condition that emerges from cohort and contagion effects and novel social pressures. In plain English, this Brown University PhD is saying that this this, this epidemic of transgenderism is largely due to contagion effects, social contagion, talking to each other, hearing from each other, getting persuaded by each other. It's not who these kids are. It's what they have mold, been molded and formed to believe. They've been, it's the power of suggestion, the power of, it's almost like a hypnotism that this is a, a very real thing, they might have it, and so they end up behaving in these ways due to, again, this expert, cohort and contagion effects and novel social pressure. Also, this expert talks about ROGD can be cast as a maladaptive coping mechanism. To elaborate, she's basically saying one way that kids who are struggle socially, maybe socially uncomfortable, maybe socially, you know, just awkward, are using ROGD as a, this rapid onset gender dysphoria as a maladaptive coping mechanism. It's a way they can feel comfortable. Okay, now I'm, I'm coping, I'm not really, you know, I, I'm, I'm not gonna accept I'm so uncomfortable as a girl because whatever reason they had. And so it's, a, it's, a, it's not, again, it's not who they are, it's what they choose to do, a coping mechanism they choose to deal with where with their, their struggles. And she also talked about parents and the ROGD appearance to be uh, the, the, um, the, the, her term is scripted behavior. The same words, the same language, the same coming from these online sources. And then she also used the expression, medical, the description, medical anthropologists describe the process of outsourcing negative feelings, can't deal with how they feel about themselves, outsourcing negative feelings to cultural narratives and systems of beliefs as idioms of distress. I could go on and on, but the point in this segment of today's show is that this gender dysphoria, this all of a sudden explosion, epidemic in our society, is still, by the way, the entire LGBT, LGBTQ you know, community all that together is still 3% or less of our society, but we hear so much about gender dysphoria because it's kind of become the trendy thing to talk about, and then you go online, you read about it, and then you think you're experiencing it, and then your friends are experiencing it. It's a social contagion. And I want to get one other point in here. There was a great article written by a young woman, and it's not her real name because she doesn't even dare speak up. It's a young woman, and again, what I'm talking about today is available on my website. You can go read it yourself. 
It's americacanwetalk.org homepage under shows. Go down, list of links. Last little story in this segment is this woman who's in college is writing about her title is there's a sudden surge of trans students coming out at my college and i'm scared to talk about it and that's why i called this segment i made in the segment the great silencing this young lady is talking about the idea that all of a sudden friends she's known for years uh who behaved as though they were really the gender which they are their biology is were a bunch of people transitioning and college has gotten weird and how the LGBTQ uh, group there took over all the bathrooms the entire campus one day put signs up saying you know they're for both men and women so no one was comfortable going to the restroom anywhere where you know this girl's describing walking in and finding a male professor of hers in the bathroom using the urinal uh, which was supposed to be a female's bathroom but she also talked about how colleges uh, are surrendering to this agenda rather than handling it with respect for the feelings of students who are not on this track. The one example she gave is when you go to college, and I think most colleges have this now, you know, you get to say, I, I want to live in a co-ed dorm, I want to live in a single-sex dorm, whatever people choose. So she had these two friends, two uh, female friends, who are going to be roommates, ahead of a third roommate in this situation, and the college assigned as the third roommate for her two female friends a guy, a biological male, who was deciding he thought he was going to transition to become a woman. He's still a guy in every way that matters. And so he's now rooming with two women. And she basically said, she had story after story of bizarre behavior, ending with her thing, uh, her point is, you can't even talk about it. You can't even raise it on college campuses. You're labeled homophobic and hateful and intolerant and all these nasty words. If you dare say, you know, I kind of want a girl's room to myself. I want, I want to shower with only women there. I don't really want to have a roommate who is a guy, even though he thinks he's a girl. This whole, I, I'm getting at this, just this astonishing um, windstorm, a, a hurricane of attack on American public thought in our culture of our culture that's saying you can no longer even have a discussion about what any aspect of transgenderism uh, transsexuality of drag queen performances everything that the LGBTQ agenda is pushing must be accepted as normal never to be discussed the great silencing will keep you quiet and I'll tell you, friends, I, first of all, if you're listening to my show, I feel like you're all my friends. I love talking to you every day. I love the emails I get, the comments I get, even the not-so-friendly comments. I love it when you comment on Facebook and on YouTube. This is a topic, even for me, I, I mean, my, I, I talk about pretty much every topic facing America. I've talked about plenty of controversial topics, radical Islam, tribalism, uh, the racial struggles in this country, uh, border security. I'll talk about all of them. Even I, as I mentioned earlier, about two hours before the show, thought, you know, this is, I, I don't know if I want to go here. This is a little bit, it's so tender, it's so dicey, and the American left spends so much time attacking anyone who dares to challenge the left-wing ideology on the LGBTQ agenda, and there is just, there is this great silencing. But if I, a 
pundit, a commentator, a talk show host, if I can't talk about this issue, which I think is really kind of, it's overtaking public thought. The, the agenda of the left is, it is making the rules about what you can say, what you can believe, and, and what you're allowed to advocate, and what you're not allowed to advocate. If I can't talk about it, then nobody else, and then, more, then I can't criticize anybody else who won't speak up. And I'm saying we have to speak up on these things, especially with respect to children, including children on America's college campuses. And the next topic, similar to on, on our path for today, so in the last segment, we talked about what the uh, American uh, psychology, in Psychology Today, a psychologist has reported this study done by a psychologist at Brown University, essentially on the, the notion, it seemed overwhelmingly clear and true, that transgenderism, the, the identity people claim for themselves, saying that they're not really the, agen the uh, gender they thought they were there or that they were born with, they're really the other, um, that has been, um, the uh, Psychology Today article is saying there's a lot to do with this that has to do with social contagion, which has to do with reading things online, getting inculcated by culture, and, and then getting confused by it, rather than actually being a thing you are, that you're a, you really were transgender since the, you know, for your whole life. One last thing, back to the Psychology Today, they made the term, they said the, the term transgenderism uh, while often used, is now considered out of date and stigmatizing. Now you're only supposed to talk about transgender identity. So transgender identity is the only term you're allowed to use. This uh, psychologist, by the way, at Brown, was heavily attacked and criticized for publishing the factual data relating to her study proving that many young people who are coming out as transgender, when you study their life and their experiences and their families and their behaviors through life, the, trans, the transgender identity was emerging not as a result of anything biological, not anything about who they are humanly, biologically, but by the, it was coming to the surface, it was coming out because of advocacy by the leftists in this country, advocacy for transgenderism or transgender identity or dysphoria as being a norm. It was a social contagion to use her conclusion. But now let me turn to the American Psychiatric Association because I'm getting, gonna get around to making this point. American people, our culture, our country, we have to decide what we agree is the norm or not. We have to decide. We cannot defer the, to the transgender advocates, the LGBTQ community, especially the, tra the transgender identity advocates, we cannot defer to them what we accept as a society in terms of what is good, what is right, what is healthy, and what is to be taught to our children. Because right now, what's being taught to our children is anything the transgender identity community wants taught to them. We have already surrendered to them because we weren't alert to it and recognizing how this ideology was weaving its way into the schools. But now I want to turn, that, that was a psychologist study, now we're turning to the psychiatrist, the psychiatry industry. And I'm just going to tell you, the psychiatry industry, when you ask, and there was a definition, this is from the American Psychiatric Association, you ask them, is being transgender a mental disorder? And you know, uh, this was, they, they were asked the question, they gave this answer. Here is the answer of the American Psychiatric Association. A psychological state is considered a mental disorder only 
if it causes significant distress or disability. Many transgender people do not experience their gender as distressing or disabling, which implies identifying as transgender does not constitute a mental disorder. Basically, they're going to say, if you're happy with it, it's not a disorder. And so I raise that to say, I don't really care personally if the American Psychiatric Association lists transgenderism as a disorder or not. I don't care if they list, they, they, for years they listed a homosexuality as a mental disorder, and now they don't. I am not advocating, I don't really care whether the American Psychiatric Association lists transgenderism as a mental disorder, but I do care that people in this country want to give any deference at all to the American Psychiatric Association in terms of how we as a culture, a society, a people as a country handle and, and respond to this strident advocacy from the transgender identity community you know, uh, movement to insist that all of us must abandon everything we've ever thought and agree with what the transgender advocates, advocates are saying is it must be the norm. I want to just, and I want to make a little bit of more of a point about not deferring to the American Psychiatric Association. So a wonderful producer, Matt, has, I sent him a, um, a list of the American Psychiatric Association. They had a 2019 meeting, a meeting this year, I think it was in San Francisco, and they had a, this is the American Psychiatric Association, and they listed these as their, and, and there were so many topics, you can't even believe it. I'm just going to list in some of their topics. The, like you go to a conference and they have breakout topics. One, women's health in the U.S., disruption and exclusion in the time of Trump. Seriously. Next one. Gender bias in academic psychiatry in the era of the Me Too movement. Next. Treating Muslim patients after the travel ban. Best practices in using the APA Muslim Mental Health Toolkit. Next. Addressing microaggressions towards sexual and gender minorities. Caring for LGBTQ plus patients and providers. Next. There, there, aren't there more? Oh yeah, sex, drugs, and culturally responsive treatment, addressing substance use disorders in the context of sexual and gender diversity. I gotta cut it off there because I'm gonna run out of time for what I, racism and the war on terror, implications for mental health providers in the US. Folks, there had to be 30 topics in this conference. You could have taken the, the radical left Democrat party platform and stuck it up on that list of the, the various things you could choose to go to, the various talks, presentations you could go to at the American Psychiatric in, uh, Association meeting, and there would have been no difference. What you saw when you see the listing of topics the American Psychiatric Association chose for their annual meeting, you go to learn things like lawyers, we have meetings, you go and they say, uh, latest on the law on blah, blah, blah. They're talking law. These people, they just take the American Psychiatric Association left-wing agenda view on every conceivable topic, including transgenderism, and say, whatever the left-wing view is, they are normalizing, they are legitimizing, they're making it what, the left, what they stand for. My point in getting this to you is the American Psychiatric Association cannot be our source, cannot be anyone's source 
in handling and dealing with and responding to the aggression, the strident aggression of the transgender identity advocates in pushing their transgender identity advocacy on children in this country. They are, the psychiatrists cannot be the source of the answers because they aren't really, remember the definition, they're not gonna call anything a mental disorder there unless you're unhappy about it so i guess if i thought it was really you know a strawberry then i guess i'm a strawberry or i'm a cucumber or i'm a you know zebra as long as it doesn't distress me to think that they're saying hey you're not disordered so we don't have to in our country and we must be alert to not agreeing that the that the leftist american psychiatric association characterization has anything to do with what we as a country do in responding to this strident LGBTQ gender identity agenda. And last thing I want to get to today uh, and on this very topic has to do with, I, I called it loving children enough. It is easy, it is easy in this country to surrender to whatever the strident left wing pushes. It's always the easiest answer. It's the easiest answer to say, okay, well, the drag queens want to do story hours, let them do story hours. Now, I'm not trying to stop them. I mean, I, I'm not, you know, I haven't even been to one, I haven't protested one, but I want us all to be thinking about what they are trying to accomplish. The drag queen story hours are trying to accomplish convincing children that and they call they say themselves they want to give their these children queer role models they want to encourage children to think in terms of gender fluidity so that is the drag queen you know be a guy but dress as a woman mode then we have the transgender or transgender identity advocacy where pushing and pushing and pushing starting in kindergarten in public schools encouraging kids not just to be accepting not just to be kind, not just to not be mean to somebody and not tease them and not bully them, but truly worming their way into the thought of small children, planting the seed, the idea in children, maybe you're not really the gender you think you are or that your mommy and daddy told you that you are. Maybe you're really something else. And when you recognize the willingness to push that agenda to the point, you got some second grade teacher in Oregon torturing some second grade boy in her class, keeping him out of recess to make him watch transgender movies because she got suspicious that he was transgender. Not even her job. It's frankly not the public school's job to be teaching the kids anything about this transgender you know, movement in this country. When in our country we permit adults, we have not even permit adults, there is no prohibition in this country for adults who choose to dress in any manner they choose. You can be a man, dress as a woman, well, you can do what you want. When you're an adult, you can engage in, if you wish to have, gender changing surgery. You are permitted to get the psychiatric care, the, the drug, whatever it is you need, the, the hormones, and have surgery. You're allowed to do that as an adult. That's a whole other question. We're not talking about that today. But advocacy to young children to believe that you're not really what your mommy and daddy said you are. You're not really what your anatomy tells you you are. And pestering them in kindergarten on is wrong. 
It's wrong that we permit it in this country. It's wrong that we don't have more organized opposition among parents in our country to say, you don't need to be advocating this in school. You don't need to be advocating this to our children, especially when you take into account and recognize the Brown University professor who's been vilified for reporting the accurate results of her study, vilified for pointing out that much of the coming out of students claiming they discovered they are they have they've gender they've trend they have a transgender identity that they, that's the term you're supposed to use now transgender identity they really are physically one but gender but they believe they're the other and they want to transition to that even the professor who went to the trouble of doing a brown which is ivy league physician went the trouble of figuring this out doing the study reporting the data that says it looks very much like it's social contagion social pressure social media interaction that's causing this and she's vilified you have to recognize how powerful and obnoxious this movement is it's very different for adults to choose things in this country where we cherish freedom and liberty for adults. It's a whole other thing when we tolerate the advocacy to young children on this subject. So friends, again, I think you're my friends because you listen to my show. I love talking to you. We could have this conversation um, um, many times throughout, and well, I probably will go back to the American Psychiatric Association uh, introducing their concept, what they think is normal, because you read there all the topics they talk about there, you realize they may be doing a good job introducing some drugs that help some people with mental disorders, but where were all the, where, I mean, you should read this list of topics. It's unbelievable. You didn't see depression, which is apparently a major problem in America, dealing with opioid addiction, uh, post-traumatic stress syndrome. You didn't see the things we all know are serious mental health problems. They go to their annual conference and they glom on to the radical left-wing agenda and make discussion sections, presentations out of the left-wing agenda. And that, my friends, is the American Psychiatric Association. So my closing point before we turn to why it matters to you is we can't let them tell us. We can't, as Americans, decide that we're going to defer to the American Psychiatric Association or defer to the radical, strident, transgender identity advocates who tolerate no disagreement, tolerate no discussion. Think of the girl at that school, that college, who wrote about, I, I tried to, you know, I, I can't even talk about this here, but I, I, what's going on is so bizarre. This is the result of the pushiness of the left saying you're not going to say anything that interferes with our agenda. And now I want to turn at the end of the show, as I always try to do, of why it matters to you. Why we talked about what we talked about today matters to you. This is the left's assault on the family. Remember the key parts of the communist long-held formula for how to destroy America? I don't know if you know about these, but the Communist Party, this is on the, in the congressional record, how to destroy America, put psychiatry in charge of society, their words, not mine, destroy the family, destroy the church, take control of education. All this is happening under left-wing agenda, all three on vivid display in America today, all driven by the left. Nexus assault on the family, why it matters to you. America's conservative values, love and respect for the innocence and purity of children. Live and let live on matters of adult private consent and humility for the laws of nature or nature's God as our creator. That was kind of a norm in our society, humility at least before that. But nothing in America's conservative values fosters or condones hate 
toward anyone in the LGBT community. It's not like the two choices are accept everything they say or hate, but the militant LGBTQ agenda does upend our American values. And last, assault on the family. Drag queen story hours at public libraries. Is anyone actually thinking these are healthy for children? Silencing dissent from the new trans orthodoxy, dismissing biological reality, and also crushing the freedom to speak. Modern psychiatry has no answers. They don't practice science. They just mimic left-wing views. And trans advocacy in schools, it's not their job. This is shutting out parents and families. And my friends, thank you so much for tuning in to America Can We Talk. I hope you come back every day, Monday through Thursday, 3 p.m. Central Time. Email me at americacanwetalk at gmail.com. Comment on Facebook. Comment on YouTube. I'll try to respond to everyone. Thanks for listening. And speak up for America because America matters. Talk to you tomorrow. Can we talk truth about America?